0: I, I went on a distro desktop excursion that landed me on OpenSUSE over the last week.
1: Really, tell me about this. Uh, a, okay, so a a sort of like a uh, bend, uh, like a like a like a bender, if you will, on like you binged
0: you uh, you went on a rampage. Distro bender. Went- oh yeah, it was it was it was a heck of a bender, that's for sure. <laughs> I
1: I like the rampage. I think that's also a good one. To- yes. Okay, so tell it me was. about it. tell me about this journey and, uh, sir, what were you striving for, and did you find it?
0: Well, I thought I was going to try out KDE, so I decided. Oh, okay,
1: okay.
0: KDE Kubuntu, makes sense. Sure, well, now
1: Kittenway. Have you heard of the Neon? Have you heard of their Neon, the Neon Project stuff? Have you?
0: I didn't want to do that okay. because of uh, it, it pulling into Git uh, repos and everything. It it's just a little bit too, too fresh. Hard core, too hardcore. Too yeah. hardcore. Sure, sure, yeah. So. Uh, I installed it. I had some problems and I thought, okay, well I'll install the backports, maybe that'll fix it. Well, uh fix about half of the problems and gave me more problems. <laughs> so um, that was not a solution for me. So then I was like, Well, I'm already on Ubuntu, let's uh uh remove everything but the base, strip it down, and let's try uh Ubuntu uh, Ubuntu Mate.
1: Hmm, okay Be- So you just you're like, I'm not even gonna go Katie, I'm gonna go a totally different route.
0: Yeah, we're just like, Yeah, let's go a different route. Okay, here. okay. All right. So tried that out, Uh, just wasn't for me. Now, that being said, uh, a lot of what was on there um, really did impress me, but uh, uh, there were just some things that were breaking, like uh, the sound card settings and whatnot. Uh, Suddenly I'd find my sound cards were disabled if I uh, swap between settings too many times, stuff like that. So it was a no-go, and I decided to go open SUSE and try KDE again, because why not? Because the issue I was having was with KML and the PIM system. Uh, Kubuntu has a bad uh, SQL backend uh, package. Well, I still couldn't get the PIM to work, which is sucks because email is important to me. And I wanted to use KML because I like that particular client. And if I'm on KDE, why not? So that wasn't a solution for me. So I'm back on gnome and open, Susie. All
1: mm. right. So okay. I, get, I mean, the, I think the elephant in the room, I mean, just everybody's got to know. Why not Antigros and KDE? Because then you would get a rolling version of KDE.
0: It never really crossed my mind.
1: <laughs> Have you used Susie in the past?
0: Uh, SUSE, yes. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, I, was a yeah, I mean, if it's in your you house That's, already. That seems like a good
1: reason right there. This is Linux Unplugged episode 134 for March 1st, 2016. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's been getting its nostalgia on this afternoon. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hey there, Wes. Yeah, I can't help it. We started talking about Mario. It's just too much fun. Yeah, and then I have to I have to admit, I got a little distracted with the soundboard.
2: Sometimes it's just too... There's too... no judgment here, okay, but venture. I will give you $10 if you can sneak one of those in on the next text message.
1: Okay, Okay, good, good. Very nice. <laughs> I'll try. Well, here's what I'm going to do to make it up for you. Great show today. Coming up on this week's episode of Linux Unplugged, we got some updates from some of our favorite distros out there. Wimpy's here to give us an update specifically about Mate. We're going to talk a little bit about Raspberry Pi threesies. Yeah, yeah. Later on in the show, too, uh, I did a pretty good job of putting my foot in my mouth. Well, I, I accidentally left out an important piece of information on Sunday's show. The audience noticed. A little errata, Wes. A little errata in today's episode of the Unplugged program. And actually, I'm hoping we get to a wider discussion about what the core issue is. And if maybe it's time we just get off our porches and let the kids play on our lawn. I won't spoil it for you. Oh, also, Intel. The Intel Atom X3. They got this great new idea. Uh, let, me, let me tell you how it it's works. It's radical. Wes. You hook it up. You took up your Android phone. You hook it up, Wes. Desktop environment. Whoa. From the Android that's phone. That's new. Convergence is what they, I. It's a new word. They're using it. They're throwing it, it makes around. Sense. You got to check it out. Something from Intel running Debian. We'll be talking about that on today's episode of the Unplugged program. We've also. Got a bunch of other goodies in there, including some interesting follow-up from the Mint team, which is actually going to be the first thing we cover. Before we get there, though, Wes brought us a new beer. Something that uh, has been hitting me in the face. So I'll bring in the Mumber Room, too, so we can chat about this with them and see what they think about it. Time-appropriate greetings there, Virtual Lug. Hello. Greetings. Hello. Hello. Hi, there. Hi. So uh, I've uh, I've had the privilege of Wes stopping by... And uh, uh, you know, bringing beers with him, stopping him by, just like, and I'm like, "Hey Wes, if you got this beer, you might as well sit in and do a show." And then you know, one thing leads to another. So uh, every my every week we've been trying different stuff. Now this one's a local from just south of us, down in Oregon, and uh, it's called the Wanderlust Indian Pale Ale. Fresh hops, bold flavor from America's Northwest. Six point two percent. Alcohol by volume. And I'm like, geez, this thing's really kicking me in the face, Wes. I'm like, I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah. I was like, this thing's really strong. Like, This is where the Mario came from, I think. Lo- yeah, it was. A lot of taste. Uh, it has a 89 score on Beer Advocate, but here's what's going on with this thing. They've put grapefruit in here. they got grapefruit. So we're drinking a beer that's got grapefruit in it. So if you're sitting around having a, having a, yourself a virtual log meeting, drink, drink, drink yourself a citrusy beer, and you'll be right in step with us. Anyways, moving on from the beer of the day today. Big story from last week was Linux Mint and uh, the hack to the Linux Mint website via WordPress, which led to compromising ISO images. Yeah and, no good whew, big discussion around that. And uh, since then, uh, we have an update from the Mint project. Clam has gone to the Linux Mint blog, and he's posted uh, part of the monthly news update that he does. And in here he addresses the recent attacks. So I just thought maybe we'd go through some of this and get you know just get an update directly from him. Yeah, it's a pretty big pretty big post. Yeah, and I, I've pulled out a few sections here. He says, I'd like to thank the PHP BB team and Automatic, the company behind WordPress.com, for reaching out to see if they could help us in any way. I'd also like to thank Avast for working with us on this. They contacted us and offered to help analyze the fake ISO. We gave them a copy of it and all the info we already had. A day later, they came back with a full malware analysis, and they were able to issue an update to warn people who might still be affected by it. Avast also purchased... Uh, pushed, updates toward their own users who run Avast, to block the servers. Finally, the addresses of the malware connecting to to, uh, the server were shut down or blacklisted by Kaspersky's DNS sinkholes. I've been really impressed by Avast and the awesome work they did. It helped us react a lot quicker. They also thank a few other people. Um, They also talk about a new partnership they have for security auditing, but I want to jump ahead a little bit in the article aspects which could be used in future attacks. This was like, what did you learn, is what I'm thinking, right? right? So here's what he says. To protect you and reduce the risk of man-in-the-middle attacks, almost all of our websites will be moved to HTTPS. So you are guaranteed you are looking at the real Linux Mint server, and the the communication between you and us is encrypted. So HTTPS going on on the Mint sites. To make ISO verification more accurate, we will communicate SHA-256 sums and GPG information more prominently going forward. MD5 was displayed as a primary means of verification with SHA-256 and GPG being available for people who really wanted them. We will review the way this information is shown and try to make more people use SHA-256 and hopefully also GPG by default. Now, this seems like a direct response to... Yes, it does. You impressed by that?
2: Those are good things. Uh, I do note that... The, I'm looking at the blog right now, mm-hmm. not using HTTPS. I, I didn't type that, I know. but I noticed they that don't too. redirect Yeah, you. I
1: noticed that too. I mean, he says it's, it's coming. Yeah, you're right, though. Uh, something else. Uh, aspects, aspects which relate to the operating system. We'll be considering re-adding GFU, uh, FW, GUFW, which is the firewall uh, config tool, uh, to the default software selection. What happened was a very uncommon, but as our project and Linux in general are getting more popular, our operating system is becoming more and more of a target. We cannot ignore the threat of malware and think that it only affects Windows, so maybe a firewall by default. And he says, thanks to all the people who donated to us and to all of our sponsors, we feel a bit guilty this this month because the attacks took all of our focus. We didn't work on Mint as much as we wanted. There are some really cool things going on in development, like uh, there's now four x apps projects. XED, XReader, XPlayer, and XViewer. Most of the Mint tools were migrated to Python 3, GTK 3, and GSettings, and given better HD, HDPI support. And we're looking at improved out-of-the-box touchpad support. But he actually mentions a couple of times in this uh, post here how it really sucks that this thing robbed uh, development time away from the project. Mm-hmm. And he really seems to be kind of sore. So overall, uh, Mumble Room. What are your thoughts on sort of Mint's uh, answers and, and improvements here? Uh, good enough, uh, a good start? Anybody have a take?
3: Yeah, why has it taken this to GPG sign his ISO sums? I've looked back over the ISOs and other distros were doing this more than 10 years ago. Why is he only doing it now?
2: I mean, weren't they available before? Just not, they were hard to find. I that was what my take from
1: it, but I'm not sure, mm. but it's a good point. I mean, it should
2: be it It feels to me that, like like they said, like he's focused on development and continuing the operating system, and I think the popularity of Linux Mint shows that he's doing a good job, or at least there's people that really appreciate what they're doing, but they really need someone in the community to step up and you know first make it their first priority to do these kind of admin jobs that you can't half ass when you're a big community,
3: right. you become a massive. Attack surface when you when you're that popular yeah. and it's, there's no doubting that Linux Mint is very popular and so you've got to take care of those things because if you don't stuff like this happens it's it's you know one oh one here's what that. here's what actually grabbed
1: my attention in the blog post. Uh, because I think when we talk about Mint, there, everybody, has, everybody who's not like a big Mint fan has a list of Mint issues. Like, oh, I don't like that they do X, or I don't like that they don't do kernel updates, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I don't like that they don't do kernel updates. is a pretty common yeah. one. And, uh, Clem, address that in this blog post. One of the key advantages of Linux Mint is its stability versus security policy. The level of information shown at the, at the update management is configurable. It puts the power in the hands of the user, which is something that is lacking in many other operating systems. For all that power to be an asset, though, users need to understand why uh, and what is at play. Uh, so he's kind of admitting that maybe they could do a better job of informing users about the decisions, but essentially saying, we're keeping this. We're going to prove it. We're going to continue to improve it, but we're keeping this policy of not necessarily doing kernel updates by default because it's stability versus security. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring that up because I think stability versus security. Stability versus security. I, security. I think you can use that rationale in millions of ways mm-hmm. when you're managing a project. And I think what it was, and to answer your question directly, Popey, is steps were taken that seemed sufficient for the job at hand. And looking at it practically, this just didn't, this extra work just didn't need to be done. It wasn't important. And I think that's been readdressed and reevaluated now. That's my take.
2: It'll be interesting to see what comes of this, you know, um,
1: if there's any more incidents,
2: if things kind of just pick up, if they take these things more seriously.
1: Yeah, it seems like, and they've got, uh, they've got like I said here, they've got to deal with, uh, with a group that's going to continue to audit and check in on their security. So that seems like a good thing. And it's nice to have a good update. I feel Yeah, you transparency know, is key in these kinds of things. I guess in the grand scheme of things, it could have been a lot worse. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this is, you know, this is a good way to sort of relatively short. Yeah. Didn't last very long, been pretty clear on pretty, pretty clear on communication. So. All right. Cool. Interesting just to get an update from the mint team. And so I wanted to follow up on that. I also figure, why don't we uh, shine a little light on the Fedora project? You know, them Fedora guys are working on a new release, Fedora guys and gals, of course. Uh, And so uh, Matthew Miller sat down with PC World and uh, did a little interview, I believe, with Chris Hoffman. Uh, Talking about Fedora and its growth and some of the directions Fedora is going in. And, uh, Wes, this doesn't sound like your father's Fedora. No, it does not. Fedora wants to start converting people who aren't already Linux users over to the platform, but they don't mean targeting the average desktop user. Fedora Workstation is still focused on being developer-targeted environment, but as Miller says, developers are people too. Uh, Here's the part, though, that I thought was interesting. Ready for this? Fedora has never officially supported, like, drivers and codecs because it has a focus on free software, and it has no plans to do so. However, now these aren't really plans, but Fedora Project would like to make the process of installing them less painful, and there will be a big conversation about that in the next year. Direct quote from Miller. If you need to have those graphics drivers, and you're a grown-up, you can make that decision yourself. Hey, hey. Now, uh, this is the Fedora that uh, really sparked the whole debate on mono not being included by default in yeah. Linux, right? This is the Fedora that has made it uh, so, such that there are sp- spinoffs like Corora that make actually just using some of this stuff reasonable. And there's a group, RPM Fusion, that's been around forever to try to uh, fill in some of the rough spots. So this is a, f- this is a Fedora that once was, uh, that's, that's not free software. We won't, we won't accommodate that to, well, you know, if you want to be a grown-up. And install your own graphics driver. You That's have fine. have that choice. If you want to be a grown up, I thought that was pretty interesting wording, Mumble Room. Am I reading too much into this? Anybody want to be a grown up?
4: Uh, so it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, it, it's it's kind of a different step from where they have been, and, and more towards uh, kind of where a lot of other people have been for a while. Uh, I think it's I think it's acknowledging that you know maybe we can. Continue to be a free software distro, and then also, you know, give a better option. I like uh, kind of like the Debian route.
1: I like uh, producer Q5 sys this is the Fedora we need, not the Fedora we deserve. Yep. It might be might actually yeah. so might be reverse of that. But uh, Fedora 24 will also feature a layered image build service, which will be designed to make creating and providing containers as easy as creating a standard RPM package. Fedora also includes a preview of XDG apps, which enables sandbox desktop Uh-oh. apps, and Wayland will make sandboxing possible as well. Wayland's going to be in there. Uh, they said, we wanted to have something that kind of brings Fedora activities to the, visible to the web. So Fedora Hubs is going to be a new web-based social media p- portal where information about Fedora is going to be available. And it should also foster interactions, for example. They say this is a new project they'll be working on. People on the Fedora design team could collaborate and share designs in that hub. It's designed to make it easier to jump in so you don't have to learn mailing list cultures or IRC etiquette nice. to get involved. So They're going to have a new way to share with people online.
2: I see here they've also
1: got uh, notifications when long-running terminal jobs end. That is that's, sweet. That's nice. I think it's been there for a little bit. It has. Uh, but that is nice. I do like that. Yeah. Uh, I like this uh, layered imaging approach for making containers, but I tell you what, this new tone, which I'm not necessarily disagreeing with, but I think it's going to upset some longtime hardcore fedora fans. Yeah,
2: I'm be curious what that means, make it less painful. Yeah. See, see how far they go.
1: I And the positioning is a strong one. Well, if you want to be an adult. Right. That's a strong... That's dis- a loaded sentence. Yeah. Yeah, that is a loaded sentence. Uh, Mr. Wimpy, are you present, sir? Present. All right. Present and accounted for. So, Wimpy, uh, after the break here, I want to chat with you uh, about the, the Ubuntu Mate update that you just posted. We'll save the Raspberry Pi 3 stuff for a little bit if we can, but I want okay. to... Uh, since we just did a uh, Fedora update and we just did a Mint update hmm We should do an Ubuntu it's only update. Fair. Yeah, it's only fair. It is. It, I, well, it, that's very kind. Right, right. And you had a good post. It was very nice. So I want to talk about that. So first, I'll mention our friends at DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com and support this show and get yourself an awesome Linux rig for, like, totes free for two months. When you use our special promo code, D-O-Unplugged. One word, lowercase. Give you a $10 credit. Boom. You go over there, spin up a $5 rig in less than 55 seconds. For $5, you can get 500 megabytes of RAM. Yeah, yeah. A 20 gigabyte SSDs, because they're all SSDs, Wes. No way. They is. One CPU that's blazing fast and a terabyte of transfer. They got Ubuntu's up in there. They got the Debian's. They got the Fedora's, the CentOS's. They got the Core OS. Did I mention they even have FreeBSD? No. I have to admit it, Wes. It is true. The rumors are true. And it runs like a boss. That is also true. They have a HTML5 console, so you can log it. into the website and get access right there, from post all the way up to the login, which, I, you know, I just can't do without that sometimes. You don't need it that much, but
2: when you really need it, you're just like, yes, That's it's the so thing. easy.
1: That is totally the thing. Their interface is super intuitive, very straightforward. If you're managing one droplet, many droplets, you want to deploy an entire application stack or a base Linux rig, it's nice and easy. they got data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, Toronto, Rumors of a new one opening up soon, too. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I won't say too much. I don't want to get in trouble, but there are secret rumors secret. Rumors about a new data center very soon. So go check them out. They have a straightforward API, which means, in all practical terms, there's just a ton of really great open source code already written you can take advantage of, including libraries. If you do that Python thing, you heard of that? Oh, I love that. You heard of the Python? Yes. Yeah. Have you heard of the Perl? Yes, yes have. Yeah, the Pearl. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am familiar. They got libraries for those things. And others, Wes. I, 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 it's all new to me, something to do with computers, but you should check it out.
2: Don't listen to Chris. He doesn't know anything.
1: Nope. Never heard of these things before, but I do know you can use the promo code DOUnplugged over at and Get yourself a $10 credit and support this show. And by the way, check this out. How to use Ansible and Tink VPN to secure your server infrastructure. Now you've talked about this that's stuff. before. That's exactly what I do. I will thing? check that out. We'll
2: have a report back on it. This next is a week. heck of a how-to. Look how at to. that
1: graph. Oh man. This is look at these graphics. Look at the look at the way they do all the commands there. The config files, nice and easy. DigitalOcean has great tutorials. That's beautiful. Oh man, that's just a great service. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Unplugged and in a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring. The unplugged program. All right, Mr. Wimpy. So I noticed over on the ubuntu-mate.org/blog/blog <laughs> that there is a February 2016 supporters update, and uh, I don't know, Wes. I, I I don't know if you saw this number here, and I, maybe I'm reading something wrong here. Uh, is, is are you? If I, am I correct in looking at there has been $1,500 sent up upstream now? Uh, is is this is this right? Am I misreading something? This is this is astounding.
5: Yeah, I don't. I don't quite know what the currency conversion is. So it's a touch over fifteen hundred euros, and I think oh. that's around fifteen to sixteen hundred yeah. dollars, something like that.
1: Sixteen sixty-eight. Yeah, that is. Yeah. That's great. So Wimpy, uh, just for those who maybe are not familiar, there's various methods that your project is collecting funds. I know one of them is Patreon. That's how I do it.
5: But there's other methods, right? mm mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, there's uh, Patreon, and then people who. Uh, choose to, uh, so on the download page, uh, we we put a thing out saying, you know, if everyone uh, tipped us $2.50 for a download, there'd be enough to pay for the full-time development of Ubuntu Mate and the Mate desktop. And a good number of people actually take us up on that invitation and uh, pay some money uh, when they download. And uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've been able to uh, plow a good deal of that money back into the upstream developers that have been helping with either Ubuntu Mate or the Mate desktop.
1: I really like. Wow! That. I think that's such a cool model. Um, and so, uh, in February now, not only has has there been uh, a, a a pretty good amount of fundraising, but is this the is this your highest fundraising? How is this going for you exactly? Is it continuing to trend upwards? Has it leveled off? What's that like?
5: This this is the most we've done in a month, I think, oh. up to this. Up to this point, we've done about three thousand dollars. So, with this on top, it's about four and a half thousand dollars, something like that. We've done uh, over the course of the project. But the last few months, uh, we're having some server restructuring, and the <laughs> the bandwidth bills uh, for the Raspberry Pi stuff were just massive. Oh man! So it, that was that was. <laughs> that is was that the most expensive thing? Money. I was wondering, like, what is oh, the yeah. one
1: of the most expensive aspects of running a distro? If, it, if it's bandwidth, if it's what?
5: Yeah, yeah. The The Raspberry Pi 2 downloads <laughs> are are almost equivalent to that donation figure that you're seeing there every month. Whew. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and you, you'd hope people would use torrents, but I suppose it's just not feasible for everybody. A lot of people do use the torrents, but we we maintain a couple of web seeds to keep same those us, right? ticking over. Yeah, same with JB. That's, that's, that's where it goes.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> same thing. Because <laughs> you want them to have a fast
5: download. So if the download's not going yeah. fast, the web seed is... It's, it's all part of the experience. You know, a lot of people, they click download and they expect it to come down as fast as their broadband will allow them. Mm-hmm. And if your project is not doing that, that's immediately a black mark. So we try to keep the, the torrents well, well seeded. Um, but yeah, so uh, we've. The, 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 real, the real thing for this here is that um, we had a lot of work that needed to be done in uh, February. Um, because I've I've started a new job not so long ago, I haven't had as much time to dedicate to the project. But with the money coming in and some restructuring on the server side, we've been able to re you know use the money that we've we've had coming in on the development side. So this month we've been able to approach um, eight developers um, and ask them to do um, bodies of work for either Ubuntu Mate or the Mate desktop and they have all come through they've all delivered uh we we're not paying them anywhere near you know what what they're actually doing in some cases they're getting close to market rate in a few cases they've they've put in weeks worth of effort yeah. for, you know for not much money at all so it seems but at least with are trying to, me, though, to say Wimpy. Thank what, you. You.
1: you're getting so you're hiring these developers to to essentially massage things the way you want to deliver
5: uh, the desktop not, the way you want right not hire so much as sort of incentivize (laughs) Uh, yeah not not even that i mean in most cases when i approach these guys and say look i'd really like this doing would you be prepared to do it we can offer you this Mm -hmm. by and large the first response is um i don't want any money Mm, i will just do it Mm. but uh and there are there are people on that are not on this list because we've approached them and they've simply said i don't i don't want any money i'm just going to do it and all of these people was were saying that's not necessary but i Want so for example, some of the guys on this list they've used the money to buy equipment to help them develop for Mate Desktop or Ubuntu Mate. Oh, that's great! So that's where it sort of comes full circle, giving them something that they can use that they can then plow back in. And one Mm, of the guys, one of the one of the guys just said. I'm going to use the money to buy a comfortable chair. You know, it's a very simple thing. <laughs> I like thing, that. But he had an uncomfortable chair. He was never comfortable sat at his computer. He's a student, uh, I believe. And he, he just said, I'm going to go out and buy a new chair tomorrow. And I thought that was lovely.
1: It looks like a couple of folks were involved in porting the Mate desktop over to GTK3.
5: Yeah, so Wolfgang and Vlad, they're both core Mate uh desktop developers and they're primarily working on that porting effort and they have been for months. Um and I it's it's essential work. It's a thankless task because there are all sorts of edge cases and weird bugs that um that come up. And that hundred dollars that they each got is like nothing, uh, because for weeks and months of effort. But it's it's a thank you very much. You know your efforts are well recognised. Appreciate what you're doing. Met- this Met- is the future. Tell direction. me about Mate integration into Synapse. What's this about? Uh, right. So. Uh, the back end of last year, um, I worked with uh, Rico, the uh, the maintainer for Synapse and we added some of the Mate um, integration to Synapse. And I was supposed to come back and do that work, finish it off, but I ran out of time. So I went back to him and I basically said, look, this is the bits that we need adding. Can you do it? Can you get the packages into Debian? can you get them into ubuntu and can you do it all before 1604 goes final oh that's great and and if you do it you know if you're able to do it i've got i forget how much it was but i an amount of money that i will give you to say thank you for your efforts and Mm -hmm. recognize your contribution to the project and i think i asked that question on friday and it was all done yesterday
1: Nice. no way Wow. wow Yeah. Uh then you know I, you know I really uh I I really have been uh, using uh, this Apollo mm-hmm. as my main driver and um the one thing I would like is a little bit snappier launcher. I want to fire it off. So it snaps it crossed my mind. So yeah. Wimpy, what strikes me about all of this is uh um well all of this will make Ubuntu Mate a, a better project, but none of it is specific exactly. none of it's specific to Ubuntu Mate. It all goes uh, upstream. You're actually improving in most cases, you're just helping continue improvement yeah. of the Mate desktop in general or yeah. something like to that. I guess maybe the S- Mate welcome screen might be sort of specific that, to the distro, that but...
5: Is, that is absolutely our uh, sort of USP. So yes, the, uh-huh. the Ubuntu Mate welcome and Mate tweak, those are the things that are absolutely Ubuntu Mate. They're absolutely specific to us. And the two guys that I've um, uh, donated some money to for working on Ubuntu Mate welcome are Ubuntu Mate developers. Hmm. But people are donating to Ubuntu Mate, so I think it's fair to distribute, you know, that across, you know, multiple projects. And when you look at some of the other stuff we've, we've donated towards, if you look at top menu GTK, for example, right. which mm-hmm. is now being maintained by the Mate team in Debian, and those packages have been introduced to Debian and Ubuntu... But more importantly, top menu GTK also includes plugins for LXDE and XFCE. And we package and maintain those plugins as well, which are also now available in Debian and Ubuntu sixteen oh four for those desktops to take advantage of. So we've not, you know, just said, Oh, well, we'll just do the bit that's for Marte. we've done the whole thing.
1: Hmm. It's interesting because uh this work overall sort of helps improve the whole ecosystem. Yeah,
2: it really does. I like that. And that's uh, a great model of you know how to support the people that support I want, you.
1: You know, uh I want to give Kitson a second to ask his question, but then Wes, help me remember to come back to the model point because uh, I look at elementary OS, and I look at other projects, and I go, okay, this seems really like there's a model here that Wimpy's working with that could be applied to a lot of distros that would, I think, help a lot of people out. But let's hold that question, and Kitson, I want to give you a chance to jump in before we go too far. So go ahead.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask uh, Wimpy two questions. Uh, the first one being, uh, where does he see uh, Mint XApps? Uh, becoming relevant with mate because it seems like uh, th- they have a lot of same goals and uh, what's the status on getting a GUI uh, package management system in?
5: Right. Uh, the first one about apps, I don't know much about because I'm not really all that observant of what's going on with Mint, but my understanding is, is that some of those apps are actually forks of Mate applications. So I don't know. Uh, I guess Mint are uh, changing the dependency so they can stand alone more, not have to pull in, you know, session managers and things like that that are part of the desktop they're they're uh, bundled with. Um, I don't see X apps featuring in Mate or Ubuntu Mate. What if they,
1: Um, Wimpy though, what if they ended up with, you know, just universally considered one of the better file managers if they did that, or one of the better text editors? There wouldn't be like a a policy against this, just it'd have to be a compelling reason, right?
5: Yeah, yeah. And at the moment, we have a file manager and we have a text editor, for example, and that integrates uh, very tightly with the rest of the desktop environment. So when you drag something from the file manager into the text editor, the file just opens in the text editor and nice. you know all sorts of you know drag and drop integrations and actually the drag and drop integration in mate because of its um heritage from gnome 2 is about the best out there you know you can drag and drop anything hmm. from anywhere and will that understands more. the context. yeah you really a, should it understands a powerful the powerful interaction too everything. for a lot of users yeah it's nice yeah. and quick yeah huh. hmm. so okay so uh x apps i don't know we shall see Certainly, for 1604, we're now in feature freeze. So really, right. it's bug fixing and refinement at this point. So don't expect there to be any, you know, big changes in in 1604. 1610 is going to be the playground for mm. the future. That's when it. That's when we can start to mix it up again. Okay. So now, your next question was about package managers. Do yeah. you mean package managers or software centers? Uh,
0: software centers package managers etc right.
5: okay so in ubuntu mate 1604 we've talked about ubuntu mate welcome um a spin off in ubuntu mate welcome in 1510 there is uh, a section where you can install software that's still there it's been expanded somewhat and also uh, can be launched separately And you'll find that now in the menus and it's uh, labeled as the software boutique. So that is our place where you install software. Uh, We have about 120 applications listed in there, which is the best in class application that integrates well with the Masthay desktop to get a particular task done.
1: Yeah, this is uh, this is really something wimpy. Uh, And I really like that there's just a one click high proprietary software if you want. Nice um it's like the best bridging of my mom
2: could figure it out and people who want free and open source software it works for them too
1: and wimpy uh gave me a ppa so i could try to play with some of this and uh (laughs) you know for setting up the new apollo it was just that's awesome it's super slick it really is so yeah i like this approach actually wimpy i like this a lot better than say the ubuntu software center because um uh, you know for a lot of users they get kind of a static config once they have it up and going and this really spotlights the best stuff here i mean this this is this is a better up front and center than any app store attempt i've seen on linux yet definitely
5: yeah so you know usually app stores have a like uh featured apps in different sections the whole software boutique is the featured apps that's that's just what it is. It's not right. everything. It's just the best stuff.
1: Here's MB. And Look at that. Look at that. Nice. Minecraft server. Open SSH, yeah. X to go. Yeah, it's not a huge list, right? But it's a great list. A Samba server right here. I mean, this is really cool. This is really, or I guess, they also
5: they also do some extra stuff. So, for example, if you uh, you're in the service section at the moment by the sound of it, if you uh, click the button to install SSH, it also behind the scenes sets up SSH Guard for you.
1: Really nice. So uh,
5: there you go. So that's sort of the answer in the question of the App Store is yeah. this is it's sort of a new take on it. Um, yeah. Okay. And and also you'll find in there that. If you want to explore the full Ubuntu catalog, then the options to install AppGrid, the Ubuntu Software Center, I saw and that. Synaptic are there.
1: Yeah, I saw AppGrid is there too, which is which is pretty good. Well, there's Ubuntu Software Center and Synaptic, and of course GDebi is installed by default, which is
5: yeah. What I like for installing
1: Debian files that I download, or dev files. Uh, all right, so let's talk about the model for a second, because uh, mm-hmm. here's what we have. is We have, uh, I think I think if you assume a couple of things. You need to have a distribution that appeals to a wide enough base that there's enough people to draw from to donate. Right. So that's yeah. going you to, can't, you can't, you know, I mean, some of your really small, small distros, they don't qualify. But I think your distros like Antigross, Elementary OS, uh, obviously Ubuntu Mate, uh, Kubuntu any of these around this size, they'd all qualify. Yeah. They'd all fit. Uh, the, the particular model that I'm sussing at Wimpy, and tell me if you think I've got it wrong, is uh, you're kind of doing a few things. Uh, you're you're very up in front representing what people are getting for the money. Essentially, you're saying this is where the money went, this is what some of the costs were, um, and you're applying, you're, you're kind of being flexible in how you're bringing in the money. So it can be through a direct funding method, or it can be through Patreon, and you're kind of bringing all of the funds in, Uh, Mm -hmm. And so that seems to be – and then what you're doing is you're kind of being specific and targeting where that money goes out when you do spend it, either for infrastructure costs or to incentivize a developer to work on something. And Mm -hmm. uh, and then when you do that, you report on it. Now, this – is this the rough – is this sort of the rough model that uh, you could say you're applying to fund the Ubuntu Mate project? Not to make you put it all out there, but why I'm asking is it seems like in some sense that's kind of obvious, yet nobody's really quite done this.
5: So we originally started by, if you look back through the monthly reports, we picked a particular project that we would that, that, that was either integrated into Ubuntu Mate or Ubuntu Mate was was using for development or something. Mm-hmm. And we would sponsor that project. I say sponsor. We would donate some money to that project. <laughs> right, I remember. Um, and what I found doing that is actually you start a relationship with the developer that you don't know by doing that and then you get this oh well you know if there's anything i can ever do um you know to help you out uh, just ask you know and it's it's in, you know, you've made a fairly modest contribution to their project in order to sort of get that offer for help, and that actually paid off with Calculator, um, which is the calculator utility that's um, used by default uh, in Mate as a whole, not just on Ubuntu Mate, but Mate in general. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there was there was a bug in that in the fifteen ten cycle, and I went back to the developer because I'd contributed to that, you know, previously. And he was like, "Oh, short, no problem. We'll get that fixed." And I just thought, "Hmm, this is this is better going to individuals rather than projects because there are some projects we've donated to, and I won't I won't name them. And the money just sort of goes into the project, and there's no dialogue has been formed as a result, right? And so you're not establishing a relationship necessarily, yeah. yeah, yeah. You've just you've just deposited some money somewhere, and that was the end of that, right? So I've I, in recent months, I'm starting to use this technique of, well, I know that there are these people working on these things. These are the things that I would like to see implemented for Mate or Ubuntu Mate. Um, I can go to these people and say, will you do this one thing? And if if you can do it, um, there is this amount of money that, that, that we can donate to you for, for, for doing the work. Hmm. And if you expand this out Mm -hmm. if all of those other projects because i think distributions are able to pull in more donations than say individual applications right so if those if all the distributions were pooling their money like this and were handing out discrete tasks because some of these tasks actually took far longer my original idea is each task was you know some hours of work not days of work although i've i've not got that right in some cases the other is you give somebody a body of work that should take a few hours and you pay them something close to market rate for doing that work but it's a very carefully defined has a known um scope of work yeah yeah yeah. and and that's the idea And, and and if other distributions were able to do that, then maybe there would be more of these independent software developers working on open source that would be able to do these smaller piecemeal tasks and maybe not make a salary just yet, but maybe earn. Supplement you know, at least. Su- mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. supplement their salary. Yeah, because ideally the, work, the size of the work I'm giving out here is something you can do in the evening.
1: Right. Hmm. It it's is a, an interesting model, and I I look at uh, <clears throat> so I've been uh, you know I've been following Elementary OS for a while, and uh, uh, I I find what they do to have it's to have a unique I have it has a unique appeal that what they've been trying to do for a while, so I've always liked to watch it, uh, and they're really forming a company. They're forming a you know right. full on business, mm-hmm. uh, and I guess there's a mix there to be had, right? Of it being a company for certain legal reasons, but then also. Uh, when I think of – so when I, I guess what I'm trying to say is today when I think of the modern elementary OS team, uh, they when they introduce a new person coming on to their project, they introduce them as a new per- person joining their company. It's not a new okay. community member. Right. And so that doesn't seem to be a line that the Mate project has crossed. And I'm not making a judgment call there, but I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, and uh, I mean Ubuntu Mate must – there must be – there is a
5: company involved, right? No, there's no company involved here. Hmm.
1: So he doesn't necessarily dictate for the model to work that there has to be a business about it, really.
5: No. So um, Ubuntu Mate is uh, what's called a, uh, a CIC in the UK. Okay. It's a... a, 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 a I forget the accurate. Corporate... In, corporate
1: Community interest company?
5: That's the words I'm looking for. <laughs> community interest company. And it's basically... Um, uh, a, a way of setting up a charity-like organization without actually having to go through all the red tape of being a charity. Oh, that's nice. Okay, interesting. And, and
1: I know it's apples and oranges, perhaps, but I
5: just, I just thought
1: that's there's a lot of different takes we're seeing out there right now. And uh, I don't know. It, it seems to me now that the that the landscape is actually more fascinating than it's been yeah right. ever. Uh, so Wimby, anyways, I'll have a link to the uh, to the update uh, in for February. Mm-hmm. But if people wanted to support the project, uh, What's your preferred way? Is it Patreon? Is, do you have a preferred way? <laughs>
5: um, it, it doesn't make much of a difference at the moment. The thing I'm struggling with is it doesn't matter whether you're contributing via PayPal or Patreon. There is a slice of money being taken out oh, by for sure, the, yeah. the various organizations yep. there. And I'd like to find a way where that is minimized in the future. But it's going to take time to sort out. So I believe the, that is called in Bitcoin. In the time being. yeah. <laughs> I would, I would prefer, I would prefer Patreon, mm-hmm. even if it's small amounts, because that's predictable amounts of money coming in that that we can you can plan depend on. on. It. But that said, the pay, the one-off PayPal donations that people generously give to the project are far in excess of what um what Patreon mm. uh, generates. Interesting. But, I, you know, but Patreon would be preferred because there's some predictability in in what's in there. Uh, I just want to underscore that welcome screen is super cool for like uh, for installing like Spotify,
1: which is sometimes a bit of a pain in the ass on Ubuntu to be able to just have a button there. Uh, All right. So before we move on, uh, chat room or mumble room, any last questions for Ubuntu? Oh, Kitson, go ahead. You've got our last question before we move on. Go ahead.
0: Actually, it's more of a statement. I just wish more uh, projects and distros had Patreon-like subscriptions because that would be something I'd totally do uh, when I settle down on a distro and use it for a long time is I'd like to be able to contribute, and I'm not a coder.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would
2: I, – I could see that too for like uh, – maybe you get – betas or things before you get like oh, access to like the behind the scenes development if you're a supporter you know
1: I, if elementary OS did that I would do that and right. I, if Anna I don't that, want to pay I would $10 that.
2: one time for the ISO and I want to
1: if, if you I do, like if, it, if you do it. the tiering rates right, I would I would back I would keep my backing for all of them, right? You know, if it's five bucks or whatever. I mean, I I bounce between all of them enough that they're all useful. And if you look at like one, co- so it, l- my Linux desktop is infinitely more powerful than Windows 10, and Windows 10 costs four hundred dollars if you get the Pro or three ninety nine or two ninety $290, whatever two ninety nine yeah, to get right. Pro. I have no problem kicking in five bucks for ongoing continuing development of a kick ass desktop. So I think more people should get on there. So yeah. Well, cool, Wimpy. Thank you for give Stick around because Wimpy has had uh, a little time with the new Raspberry Pi special 3. access. Yeah, a little uh, a little early bird preview. So he's going to give us uh, his take on that, and also uh, I hope to get a little bit of inside info about getting Ubuntu uh, Mate up for it uh, right on the release day. I, people are impressed. But first, I wanted to mention a project called AppImage that we've talked about before, but it's got some stink behind it now, Wes got some real stink like you could get up and running right now on your distro i'm doing it right now are you yeah so app image at les uh, allows you to run linux apps anywhere uh yeah Uh, it's an application that you just drop it on the file system and you can run it right
2: yeah you download the file you uh chmod plus x and execute that and it runs it actually uh it has an iso file system in it and it uh Fuse mounts that into slash temp and then runs the app from there.
1: So is it a shell script you're downloading that runs? And- no, it's an it's an executable. So uh, this is, uh, like, they have uh, they have all kinds of stuff available for it already. Like, they have app images you can just download. Here, I'm running Krita right now. Oh, look at you. Or Kurita. Krita. Krita, yeah, there right. you go. Lin- look at you doing a Linux. <laughs> You've been drawn over there on <laughs> yeah, the Krita right. during the show.
2: <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's running great. It's like, I you know, it, it was like an 80 meg download. So they're bigger sizes, but... That's really not a big deal it downloaded it in a
1: few seconds. And what's the update process? Do you know, you just go download a new one? That's a good question. I don't know. Cuz all the libraries must be contained in They that... are contained, yeah. Yeah. So, uh Linus Torvalds says he loves it. Uh they uh uh they also uh they, they linked to uh, his Google Plus post where he talked about getting his uh, subsurface in there a while ago. Uh and and then we also uh, don't look at that. We also have a link to some of the app image containers uh where you can go get them right now. So this is something I should try, you think, huh? You think I should actually play with it? You know, I I, I
2: think it could be useful for some people. I think Linus had some good points in that Google Plus thread when he was talking about it, that, you know, you wouldn't... It should never... This is not the model to replace core system dependencies or, you know, core utils or anything like that. But for the weird projects that maybe they have very... Like, Subsonic apparently needs very recent... Like, lots of things. You need very recent libraries for... That's what they develop against. That's what makes sense. And you can't get them in all your applications. So if this helps you get, like, Spotify or one-off apps that they were probably going to package themselves this way anyway. Yeah. It's probably not a
1: bad thing. Well, you know, I was, uh, I don't know if lamenting is what I would call it, but I was discussing with Noah on the last live stream, like, I kind of I love the idea of just getting, like, the perfect desktop install, like, just doing an LTS desktop and then, like, actually writing it for the whole two years. Like, when six, what if, I don't think I can do this. But what if, when 1604 comes out, I just ran a sixteen oh four based OS for like two years, and I didn't the full experience. Just go for it, be- and then because then I feel like I feel like it's like when you have a couch or a chair that's like it's like custom fit to your butt. I feel like a two year distro is like custom fit to your butt, and so I want to just experience that. But the problem is, uh, I like to run applications, and you want to install things for reviews for the show. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I like to actually exist in the present. And so if something like this could allow me to run a nice stable LTS desktop, but yet have brand new absolute versions of my applications. Bang. Might have ourselves a winner, Wes. You think you think it could do that? Like when you looked at the application selection, could I actually accomplish that?
2: Not, that- not today. Right now it looks like kind of the one guy <sighs> is packaging all of these. So it would really need a lot of third party people, you know. Obviously, Subsurface is doing it, but for some other big projects, we're like, yeah, here's, okay. a, here's a way we support. All
1: right. Well, in the meantime, I'm just going to use a rolling distro. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. I yeah, mean, I me too. Know. But yeah. it might work for like, oh, well, I have this 1404 install at my parents' house, and they've been using it forever, but I really want them to try this new thing. Yeah. And one click, it just runs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hey, uh, have you heard about the Intel Atom, the X3? Uh, they're, uh, they're bringing something called Convergence to, oh, I'm sorry, Continuum. No, I'm sorry, uh, Handoff. Uh, between Android and Debian Linux uh, it looks legit too Wes uh, this was uh, going on at Mobile World Congress it's an Intel x86 chi- uh, chip phone it runs like Chromium like here, I, here I'll, I'll play a little bit of the video it's uh, it's I think it's probably not in English no.
4: not,
1: not English but see he hooks it up there to the cord there he starts the mode and uh, on the screen there, it begins a desktop environment. And I don't know if you if – maybe I can do a little uh, zoom in and enhance here, Wes. Bang. Do you see how that kind of looks it a lot? looks like um, – hmm, something starts with a U. It looks like a lot like Unity there, doesn't it? You see that sidebar yes, there? Yes, it does. Uh, but what you might notice is that's actual legitimate Google Chromium. Uh, this is an x86 phone. And uh, it's not – it's uh, – it's running all off the Android kernel. So the Linux environment is actually also used. So it's a shared kernel. It's mm-hmm. a shared file system. You get access to the Android file system from within your Linux applications. You also see he's got VLC playing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's being demoed right now. I'd like to toss it to Popey and see, Popey, what do you think, sir, of something like this? With Intel backing something like this, is... is uh, What do you think? I mean, this is, like, not really what Canonical's going after, but it seems to sort of be in the same vein. Kind of validates the
3: idea a bit, doesn't it? It looks very uh, similar to Ubuntu for Android. Right, yeah. Yeah. MWC three years ago.
1: It looks like it's exactly what it is. It does. (laughs) Yeah, it looks exactly like that's what it is, but... uh, What's Intel's angle here? Because I, I mean, are they? Is this a thing they're actually selling?
3: Like, I. I just... Well, MWC is showing stuff off to the rest of industry, and so they will have had lots of meetings with uh, potential hardware partners and ODMs and OEMs who may potentially ship this on a device in the future. Okay, that UI. Look at
1: that UI. Look at that! Look at that side launcher with the with the search and the and the main search thing right up there in the top uh, left hand corner. Your clock and your settings in the right hand corner. I mean,
3: is that not sort of the Unity interface right there? It kind of looks it looks familiar. Yeah, Uh, It it turns out that some people actually quite like having a launcher on the left hand side. (laughs) Yeah, I do too. I do too. Most recently accessed applications in it, and an indicator panel in the top right with the status and the rest of the. Screen to do whatever you want I mean that that seems common
1: yeah yeah it just makes you wonder if if they've if they've seen what canonical has been working on Uh, yeah if if they're aware of how open do they understand how open source works like I just have all these questions after I saw this what do you think Wes is this gonna actually make it to something you could I don't know if we'll see this again I don't know I guess it
2: depends if they follow up with it I'll continue to be mildly interested but
1: okay here's the takeaway though hundred dollars x86 based Two gigs of RAM, like I mean, this thing's like uh, I got, I got the specs in the show notes. It's a respectable piece of hardware. Would you hundred bucks? What hundred
2: bucks? is a pretty good price point. You, would you try for? Yeah, I bucks would definitely West. try it for. I mean, especially I feel like you get that end up with that as a gift or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what do you mean, A hundred. Uh, Warhead, that's a great deal for an for an X, an X eighty six fits in your pocket that has a Debian a like charoot or whatever it is that it loads that has Chrome uh, and and all of your X eighty six. If apps. I can put uh, Arch in that.
2: Root. <laughs> Carry in my pocket and then plug it into my monitor, just you know, your wherever face. I am. That's your, pretty sweet.
1: Your face, I could make do with Debian. If I, I mean, you know, I'm I I gonna have on to my bring phone, a laptop right?
2: for the show. We'll just put a monitor here, I'll plug
1: that in. Isn't that the dream? Yeah, that is the dream. And you know where you'd have that phone? You'd have that phone over on the Ting. That's right, that's also the dream. Ting isn't a dream, it's actual reality. You can take advantage of it right now. It's mobile that makes sense, no contract, no early termination fee, and you only pay for what you use. Did I mention? you only pay for what you use. I, you know what, I know, it sounds impossible. If you don't believe me, uh, you could take it from somebody else, maybe Kyra.
4: Ting keeps rates simple. We don't make you pick a plan. Instead, you just use your phone as you normally would. How much you use determines how much you pay each month. You can have as many devices as you want on one account. That's good, because when you use more, you pay less per minute, message, or megabyte of data. Your usage, plus $6 per active device on your account, plus taxes, is your monthly bill. Simple. That's what we mean when we say mobile. That makes sense.
1: Ting. So you go to linux.ting.com, you get $25 off your first device, or if you have a compatible device, either CDMA or GSM, will have like a little checker. Uh, you'll get $25 a service credit. And you can also grab a Ting Sim on uh, Amazon, but then I don't know how you're gonna give us credit. So go to linux.ting.com. Yeah, and just go us. there.
2: <laughs> you know, yeah. every time I hear that music, I just I just I feel know. good. I, I don't know. know if it's
1: Kyra. I don't know if it's the great deal. Dude, it is it is the trifecta of Ting being badass and awesome and Kyra being super cool and that music just getting you just right? getting you danced yeah. good. It's trifecta. They got radically awesome customer support. They have an incredibly good dashboard. I mean, I really, you know, have tried all of them. In the uh, oh, what was the uh, I, I got a new name. I got a new name for the uh, dynamic duo. But I, I, I have I have had an account as a consumer and as a as a as a contractor with for my clients in business. I've had accounts with all of these uh, duopoly. Uh, You've been around, Chris. I tell you, I have gotten around with. I have been passed around from carrier to carrier, and uh, none of them none of them even come within a, like a stone's toss of Ting's dashboard. Have you heard that same before? No, toss. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, it comes from the comes from Hicktown, actually. They have great phones, all the way up from feature phones to the top Cadillac phones. Linux.ting.com. Go there and check them out. You can call them at one eight five five 855 ting ftw No contracts. No early termination fees. And you own your device outright. Yes. What's up? Just like you would your computer. Linux.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring... The Unplugged Program. Okay, Wes moving right along, sir. Oh, and by the way, they're doing a I should mention really quick, Ting is doing a giveaway of the Galaxy J7. Just give you a plugsies. J. Go get that stuff. Okay. So the Raspberry Pi 3 has landed. <laughs> Wait, what? Oops, sorry. I think I just dropped it down the toilet. Hold on. It's so small. Uh, it is uh, going to be 35 US don't bones. Has a 64-bit CPU, is my understanding. But it ships with a 32-bit version of the OS. Two uh, uh, USB ports on that thing. Not right there. Cool. So, go ahead. Go ahead. Jump in anytime. Bluetooth, Ooh. by the way, Wi-Fi, like we've had before. Before, uh, and uh, four USB ports, if if I'm correct. Yeah. So, uh, Whippy, can you say uh, how long have you had this? A little S- bit, right?
5: Uh, since Friday last week.
1: Oh, 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 oh. So you've obviously been working on this thing trying to get uh, Ubuntu Mate desktop working on it. What were your initial impressions of the hardware when you sat down to work with it?
5: Uh, it's, it looks, well, it is the same form factor as the Raspberry Pi 2 and the Raspberry Pi B plus. So you know, the number of ports and its size and its arrangement is almost identical. There's there's one minor change and that's the location of the LED lights. Mm. Uh, but other than that it looks it looks like a Raspberry Pi. Mm-hmm. Um I hooked it up, uh tried to boot my existing image for Ubuntu Mate and got a very colorful rainbow screen which basically nice. meant uh <laughs> do not pass go. Mm. Um so yeah, then started work on making it work. Once I got it working, uh that it's obvious where uh, the perf- the the performance improvements come oh, really? from with this device, yeah, yeah, across across the board and in some unexpected places as well. Um, so uh, it's uh, got a new uh, SOC, so it's a Broadcom two eight three seven quad core one point two gigahertz. It's an ARM V eight uh, Cortex A fifty three. It's clocked at one point two gigahertz, which is up from nine hundred. Uh, megahertz as the stock clock Mm -hmm. on the Pi 2. Um, And by and large, more or less, just about everything is about 50% quicker on the Pi 3 compared to the Pi 2. Um, So you see that in everything in terms of the responsiveness of the applications. But where you really notice it is it really starts to close the gap in terms of things like if you've got a web browser open, and you're scrolling, um, you know, the web pages. That's much more fluid now. Much more fluid. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you've you've mentioned that there's there's Bluetooth and there's Wi-Fi now. So they're integrated uh, on the sock. Um, they're using uh, Broadcom four three four three something chip. Um, and the interesting thing here is that. In the past, one of the criticisms of the Raspberry Pi was that the uh, the SD host controller and the Ethernet were on the same USB bus. Right. So if you were doing a file copy over Ethernet, the performance could really take a dive. The Wi-Fi is implemented on the SOC and on its own MMC controller and not on the USB bus. Now, I haven't tested this yet. This is, this is what hmm. I want to Speculation. test. Speculation. My, but my working hypothesis is it should move data around quicker over Wi-Fi than it can over Ethernet. Hmm.
2: Good excuse not to uh, bother trying to find an internet <laughs> plug for you. That would be pretty yeah. cool.
1: That would be uh, that would be pretty damn impressive. Okay, so the hardware impressions. I mean, a fifty percent improvement across the board. That is damn same form factor. That is damn impressive. I like that a lot. And I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how that might would actually play out with multitasking mm-hmm. and things like that. How did that translate, Wimpy, for you when? getting whatever you needed to do to make Ubuntu Mate work on uh, the Raspberry Pi 3? Because two things jump out at me. Number one is you kind of had to go back and retrofit the released version of Ubuntu Mate to make it work, right? Because you couldn't just say, well, hmm. go if you want to make it work, go use 16.04, or did you?
5: No, I, I, because there wasn't much time to do this, I went with the build system I had for 15.10. Okay. Because aside from the new you know, feature enablement, I knew the rest of the thing worked so you know minimize things that said I still only got about six hours sleep between Friday and, and <laughs> oh. Sunday working on this <laughs> last down to the wire uh, huh? that yeah, was, yeah. yeah yeah
1: but to your was, credit you got it right out on release day so that looked pretty good Yeah, I that's mean, impressive yeah yeah,
5: yeah it, it needs some work so um Despite the um assistance I got from the Raspberry Pi Foundation over the weekend, so they, they had some engineering assistance, mostly from Phil Elwell, who who's just been brilliant. Um I haven't got the Bluetooth working in uh on the Raspberry Pi 3 for Ubuntu Mate yet. Um but I'm yet to hear and maybe over the next couple of days we'll start to hear, I haven't heard if anyone's got Bluetooth working at all yet. it's a bit it's a bit complicated to get going. And I was sort of groping around in the dark a little bit because I was sort of being drip fed. Oh, you need this binary blob, and wow. uh, and I'm no, this still doesn't go. And they're like, oh no, you need this this blob as well, which patches that other blob. Hmm. And, and oh, you need these patches for this so it was all good because i got all the information but i just couldn't quite get the thing to enable the bluetooth so i've decided just to sit back for a few days and hmm. see, see if somebody what else happens with the official, with the official images yeah so i'm going to start taking a look at the new images so today um uh, this evening I downloaded all of the new packages that have uh, gone into the Raspberry and Archive to do with Bluetooth and firmware, mm. and I'm sort of picking through those to see if there's anything different uh, that I may have missed or overlooked. So, Bluetooth will come in, in due course, and it will be delivered via an update, I should think. Hmm, very good. Okay. Now, there is another thing about the uh, the Raspberry Pi. Mm. All that, right, do share. That the Raspberry Pi 3 that I think is probably more important I think the Raspberry Pi 3 itself is the hors d'oeuvre. This is not the main event. Oh. So in, in the Pi 3, the uh, video core, uh, the graphics processor, uh, has been upclocked. So uh, the video core was running at 250 megahertz. It now runs at 400. And the 3D graphics processor was running at 250 and now runs at 300. Okay. One of the benefits of that is that you can now run a uh, 1080p video at 60 frames per second. Nice, yes, which is good. Uh, and the other thing is, is that there's been an awful lot of work going on behind the scenes at the Raspberry Pi Foundation to do all of the uh, graphics enablement in kernel mode setting and Direct Rendering Manager and Mesa and Gallium, and that's sort of experimental at the moment. But I have had it working for brief periods hmm. of time and when that works it's a game changer because you can turn on the OpenGL renderer in vlc and get smooth video playback in vlc nice not the rather clunky can't quite keep up software version and, and you, can also, you can also uh, run OpenGL accelerated software providing OpenGL versions match up. So if you've ever played Neverball or Never Putt, I've had that running full screen, 60 frames per second, no problem. And there are other examples of where that uh, hardware, On the Pi 3? On the Pi 3, yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: That is a so, big deal.
5: So when that lands properly, it's GLEs, uh, Warheads, GLEs is is the implementation Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. the Pi 3. But when that lands later in the year as a fully finished thing, that takes an awful lot of burden off the CPU, and I think that is where this sort of um, pseudo-desktop use case really comes into its own and will start to grow, because, you know, using things like composited desktops becomes a a reality and and alleviates burden Mm -hmm. from the cpu this is as it is yeah but as it is it makes a very usable desktop experience i mean imagine if um for 35 dollars you could buy a computer and plug in a usb microphone and join a mumble room and have a podcast just like we are now oh yeah Oh yeah, this is this is all plugged into a Raspberry Pi three. I'm talking. Oh, about that is great. Yeah. <laughs> Drops the bomb.
1: <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you uh, if you think this is. I mean, wow. I mean, there you go. Podcasting is a, is that's probably something you can barely even do from a tablet. I mean, you can, but it's. Uh, I just when I see this, thirty five dollars, Wimpy. Isn't that a big part of? Of the Raspberry Pi three is what the performance for the price. It's not fifty dollars. Yeah. It's not. It's not even forty five dollars. Uh, yeah. It's thirty five U S greenbacks, uh, and that seems like that sort of is a game changer. And your downloads must be bearing that out.
5: Uh, yeah, yeah. The the I haven't looked since the the new images have gone up. Um, I'll I'll check in a week or so to see how things are going, but. Um, Yeah, so the Raspberry Pi is known to be something that, you know, retails for $35. Well, or at least the the traditional ones is obviously the zero now for $5. Um, And as I understand it, they're trying to keep that $35 price point. So they will introduce features to that price rather than just introduce features because they can which i think is kind of neat because you know you know it's always going to be 35 dollars. yeah it keeps the expectation yeah yeah it's uh it's a step change in performance definitely and i think that it's very early now you know we're in day two right i think (laughs) you know a few a few months from now will be able to see the full, hopefully the full potential. A smart move, though, uh,
1: on their part year. to keep the uh, the form factor, right? By keeping the form yeah. factor the, the same, uh, like, uh,
5: they, groups, like they uh, to, though.
1: groups like Mycroft, though, like Minecraft saying, hey, we're now doing the testing, and if everything works out, we're just going to include the Raspberry Pi 3 in with the Mycroft units because it just snaps right Bam, in. Bam, upgrade. Isn't that, yep. don't you think and that's it's a big the deal? the same price. Yes. I think that's, I mean, I think that's a huge deal. I think that means that people that are building things, I mean... For predictability like that, when you're building something, right, to have that kind of predictability, that's yeah. important. Now, for others, there might be other there might be other boards out there, but for some of us, that is a huge component just right there. No, Thirty five dollars, about
2: the same form factor, I can snap it in. When you buy it, probably the same software you used before. We'll just install
1: to it. I think it's yeah. pretty neat.
5: Any other thoughts, Wimpy? Uh, well, the only other major change that sort of just juxtaposes what you've said is that it does require slightly more power now so in the past um uh 1.8 amp uh, or 2 amp power mm. was recommended so that's now, a bit of a twist yeah it, now it's 2.4 okay. amp so uh if you've got existing power supplies that w- were kind of on the edge of being acceptable chances are you're going to need a new uh, power supply. Yeah, I I use an Atrix laptop, uh, lap, blah, lap dock to connect right. Pi to uh. to work on them, and I'm pleased to say that that still powers the Pi three.
1: Yeah, I mean, 2.4 amps is not too uncommon. So yeah, that's no. should, yeah. Hmm. Also, uh, if if a Mate or uh, Raspbian isn't your flavor, uh, Windows 10. Look at this, Wes. Windows 10 Internet of Things Core for Raspberry Pi three is out. I uh, even there's even a video. Look at this right here. Uh, it's, uh, Windows powering a wheel, like a hamster. Go,
2: Windows, go. Just like the hamster. It's learning, Chris. You gotta be nice.
1: So Windows 10 on the Raspberry Pi 3 controlling a closed-loop wheel. You ready for this, Wes?
4: Raspberry Pi 3 running Windows 10 IoT Core. The wheel represents a common situation in robotics, when you need to know exactly how fast a robot's going or how far it's traveling. Here I have a display connected to the Raspberry Pi 3. You can see the speed of the wheel, the speed I've chosen, and the power output to the motor.
1: I just can't ever imagine why you would want the overhead of Windows for such a simple task. It's just, that's never going to, that that's never a value argument you're going to win. It's, it's crazy. Absolutely. But you know what, go to Microsoft for it's trying. It's going to be the people who already have all that yeah. chain there. What do you think, uh, Wimpy? What do you think?
5: Oh, that's cute and everything, but let's see <laughs> them come on a podcast. On we're using a Raspberry Pi three. That's yeah,
1: right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe they'd have, maybe they better switch over to the Odroid C two, the faster, bigger version of a Raspberry Pi three. Put well, that heatsink on. There. Five dollars more, Wes. Okay, five dollars more. You get two gigahertz uh, ARM Cortex A fifty three quad core processor with Mali four fifty graphics, two gigabytes of RAM, and a gigabit Ethernet port with four K HDMI out. Also has a GPIO 40 pin and four USB ports and an IR receiver. That seems like a pretty nice device, too. So I'm just mentioning that because I know everybody's going to give us feedback. Uh, Guys, the Odroid is only $5 more and it does X. Mm. Have you played with those at all, Wimpy?
5: I have played with Odroids, yeah. I've got several. But there's a a keen difference between, well, in fact, any of uh, most of the other SBCs and the Raspberry Pi. Uh Raspberry Pi is a platform. Um, it's not necessarily about the specifications and the capability of the device itself. The fact is, is that if you bought a Raspberry Pi four years ago, you can run the same operating system on all of the iterations of the Pi that have come out since. And these other manufacturers, they're, they don't have that longevity in the platform. They make a device. They want people to buy the device and then they're on working on to the next specification right. and the next iteration and, and the next new feature and the next new feature. So you, you, you sort of get obsoleted quite quickly. I've got, I won't say who, which manufacturers they are, but I've got ones that, you know, now are are a pain to maintain because they're just not supported by the uh, manufacturer anymore. You know, that's, that's, a, not, that's an interesting not point. not the case with the Pi.
1: I I want to underscore your your point about the Pi being a platform because I think this is maybe the one the one thing I haven't been able to articulate because a lot, when we talk about the Raspberry Pi, a lot of people will write in will and say, "Why aren't you talking about this? It has a better X." And I have a it's sort of this is a this is a this is just to make an equivalency, but in production we've started using the GoPro from time to time. Mm-hmm. The GoPro is not the best camera in the world. What the GoPro is is it's a camera platform, and there are hundreds of different types of accessories. So if I'm driving down the road, there's a mount to mount the GoPro to the window. If I wanna walk with a selfie stick uh, in a crowd, there's a mount for that. If I wanna use a uh, gyroscopic stabilizer, there's an accessory for that. Uh, there is uh, all different tripods and different types of head mounts and body mounts and, and charging accessories and all this weird stuff for this one little teeny tiny camera. The camera isn't the important part. It's okay. this entire platform of all this stuff that the camera can snap into and be used. And then on top of that, it's an entire community Around this camera that knows how to do all these different jobs like, hey, I want to mount a camera to a bike as I'm going down a hill at 40 miles per hour. There's people out there that know how to do that. And so the GoPro isn't necessarily the X, you know, maybe it's not the best camera for 4K, 120 frame per second video capture attached to a drone. But it right. is a very good camera for a lot of reasons. And just like the Raspberry Pi maybe it isn't the fastest or whatever. It, it is a platform where there's a lot of things around it. There's a lot of people that know how to support it. And there's an ecosystem, and thir- it's thirty-five bucks,
2: right? And it sounds like that the Raspberry Pi is really, and I mean, to Broadcom's credit, even that they're they're doing a good, a better job of upstreaming things into the kernel, mm. um, like Wimpy was talking about. You know, so we'll, we'll hopefully see more better mm-hmm. support and. Yeah, you won't you won't buy this one-off system on a chip that runs this one distribution with these binaries that are compiled against that distribution's you know modules. It'll just work.
1: Yeah, as producer Q5 says, points out, if you take my argument to the uh, logical extreme, you, that would be an argument to stay with iOS or Android, just because of the apps and the walled garden, and the right. ecosystem. Uh, and I think with each thing, there is sort of uh, it's not black and white. There is a gray area. Like, uh, if you want something for example, that requires uh, gigabit Ethernet, then maybe the Odroid would just be the more obvious choice, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm saying I think one of the reasons why something can be popular like that is because of all of that. And it's, for some people, that's what they need. Or, like, you know, the, the Mycroft folks, for example, they could ship anything in the Mycroft.
2: Yeah, their own hardware, whatever.
1: But the Raspberry Pi is attractive for some of the reasons we outlined in our discussion. I think it's fascinating, and I love it. And I love that Microsoft's trying. That's super adorable, too. But it's all run in Linux. <laughs> Yeah, you could put Windows 10 Internet of Things Core edition. That that just rolls right off the tongue. Windows yep. Windows 10. How about just they can't even this that, even just that just drives me crazy about Microsoft. You know what we need to do? We need to punish Chris. Um, I got some feedback this week oh, from the no. action show. I introduced an app pick that uh, has a pretty big disclaimer, and uh, I didn't make that disclaimer. And for some of you who are very privacy-focused, I sort of, like, committed, like, total crime here. And I, 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 need, to, I need to come out. I need to admit my faults. Get I got your to slap chest, Chris. I got to admit that I did make a mistake, and then I got to tell you what's going on, give you a full disclaimer about it. Because um, otherwise I'm going to get in trouble. And maybe I could blame Noah. You think? He's, I think you already have. Oh, did I? Yep, just now. Oh, <laughs> Where were you, Chris? Come on. It's Noah's fault. <laughs> I like the way you think, Wes. Uh, you know what else I like? Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and check them out. This is a great sponsor for our audience because they are perfect fit. You guys, it's not just a feature. Like, they don't just have, oh, let's make sure we have Linux on our support page and let's make sure we can do Red Hat because that's something people use. They are passionate about Linux. They hire educators and developers, and they bring them together, and they created the Linux Academy platform. And now they're filling out the back end staff, so that way all of the content stays relevant. They can introduce new features. They, they do have like the Red Hat Certified Engineer stuff they're working yep. on right now, and those, those administration courses, a bunch of AWS stuff, over 2,330 self-paced courses. I know. Scenario-based labs, where you work in their advanced lab environment, and complete scenarios from the beginning to... The end. How did you know? Because I learned that.
2: You learned at Linux
1: Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplug. You support the show, take advantage of the great discount we get. They have instructor mentoring, which I think is really great. They have graded server exercises. That's a big one. Helps you if you got testophobia like I do.
2: And you know you're not just thinking that you've learned this stuff. You know, you didn't just read the article. It's like you've done it and you've been tested on it.
1: And, you know, one of the other things that's been really nice for me is being able to go in there and conceptualize how long it would actually take to learn something. Like a topic, like, well, say I want to learn how to write some PHP. What would that actually take? Oh, here it all is, outline step-by-step step what I could expect. And Linux Academy works in such a great way because you can say, I have this much of time available, this, you know, couple hours on Monday, couple hours on Tuesday. Does it work with zero hours, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Well, in that case, what you do is you want to use the Nuggets see, Oh, yeah, right. right. You would. So you, if you got zero hours available, what you do is when you're driving down the road, Wes, uh, and, you, and, and you're not driving, but somebody no. else is yeah. driving, when you're being driven the down valet. the road, they have a new iOS app. Now, I know you don't have the Nexus 5 there, but you just bring an Internet paddle with you. Bring it up on the uh, internet paddle device, Linux Academy. They are working on an Android device though for your Nexus. They have a really cr- the nugget system is actually a really cool idea. So they've been working in some of their live video stream events, so you can just you know if you don't have time to do a course, you can just kind of benefit from watching some of their live events where educators speak or they talk about the platform. That's so cool. And, yeah, uh, they also have nuggets that are like two minutes long. You got two minutes, right? You got two minutes, Wes? I think so. Yeah, then you could. I'm do I'm not it doing there. anything right now. Shoot, you could do it right now while I'm talking about Linux Academy. Every single Tuesday, linuxacademycom slash unplug, try out their practice exams. Check out their detailed notes, comprehensive study guides you can download, stuff you can listen to offline, in the shower, seven plus distros to pick from, automatically adjust the courseware and the virtual machines, which spin up on demand right when you need them. You get to SSHN because, you know. They know that's what you want to do. I know if you want, you could tell that. But I'm just saying, you should probably... No, you can't tell that. No, don't (laughs) tell that. Never. (laughs) LinuxAcademy.com slash Unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Great fit. Go check them out. All right, Wes. So I'm a big idiot. And uh, you know what? I'm not going to blame Noah. But I'm just going to say things were bumpy on Sunday's Linux action show behind the scenes. It was a rough ride, uh, as it were. And, don't uh, tell everyone. No, I won't. I'm not just saying Zombies don't run Linux. Li- things were a little rough. And a uh, bit of feedback we got on Sunday's show. I'm going to see if I can zoom and enhance it. Watch. Uh, it came in from Maroki. Marcola, Marcoli. Chris, are you aware that by using the N1 client, All your mail is being routed through their third-party services. By default, N1 uses the Analysis API, an open-source sync engine, to handle mail sync operations on their own cloud. Not their own cloud, but their own cloud infrastructure. In effect, this means the emails you get from the app first pass through and are stored on their server. That's a big no-no in my book. And so uh, my accidental... Omission. Omission. Thank you. Omission of this fact... uh, Led to a thread on our Linux, because why not? That's what we do. That's what we do. community. Yeah, where they say N1 is a very nice open-source client with modern workflow, but it requires that all emails are synced on the Nalaya servers and run and maintain a sync engine, or run the engine locally. Would you trust a third-party service provider with your emails, however secure they claim to be? So, part one, uh, my bad. I'm sorry I didn't mention that. We ran a little short on time, and I neglected to bring that part up. However... The reason why it didn't stand out to me as a big issue is because they do have a GPL3 server you can run yourself. Yes, they do. Yeah. And we have a link in the show notes. So it's not like you have to use their server.
2: The one big disappointment, if you are going to use ActiveSync, the open source version does not support it. That was a big... Yeah. Yeah, That's that's not a huge thing for me, but yeah. But uh, there is like the open source DAV mail client, which Mm -hmm. will translate ActiveSync to IMAP, et cetera. So... Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and here's the other thing why, and this is where I was going with this... Um, where do you draw the line because for me uh n one is connecting to a gmail account, so do I stop using gmail like to me where do we where do we take this now, I, I, we seem to be now in this position where um I was looking at this there's like three or four email clients now for mobile devices, and they all use server side mail processing sure, it's becoming super common on mobile because you have lots of Server-side processing power. You don't have battery constraints there. You can do all your kind of filtering. Just push what you need to. Yeah, you do push yeah. notifications, and you open up the app, and the app pulls down the latest stuff. And this is becoming really common on mobile, and now they're starting to do it on desktop. And it's not going to be just email. Yeah. No. Where do you draw the line, Wes? Do you do you uh, do you draw a hard line and say I just won't use third-party hosted services? I don't care how trustworthy they are. I don't care how secure they claim to be. It's too risky. Do you walk a line somewhere? Is there a gray area It seems area like you have, you? like, rings of
2: trust, you
1: know? on me, brother.
2: Well, where there are like, some, some communications, you know, maybe your various things where I have, there's a lot of mail that I don't really care if it goes through. I mean, I do not trust Nihilus, Nilas, however you say their name. You I know, don't
1: trust Gmail either, so right, most stuff they, that goes they, through my if Gmail If anything, is...
2: Google has more interest in getting out, stuff out of my email. Yeah. Um, right. But that said, you know, if I was already running my own private mail server, I probably wouldn't want to introduce this third party into the system mm. and if it was not super easy to spin up my own sync engine, then I might just keep using what I'm doing now. But I think you you have to operate with regions of like, this is my secure mail. This is where I do my most secure stuff. I know, you know, I I know who has access and when, and then you can go from there.
1: I'll tell you, I I feel, West like the polar bear on a melting uh, ice cap. And I'm sitting here floating in the ocean and my, and the little piece of ice that I'm on is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and like, eventually I'm just going to have to go jump in the ocean. And I'm just going to have to swim. And well, it's either you do that.
2: It's, it feels like, in some ways, you either you either play by what the world is doing, or you're just the weird Linux user who doesn't use any of the services everyone else does. Mm-hmm. Which that's no fun either.
1: No, because then you start to get left out of certain things. But also, uh, there is a bit of a stigma there. Uh, oh yeah, well the Linux guy, of course, right. he's not going to use that. Like you don't want to be that guy either or gal. So, uh, I, I don't know where to... I, like, I don't know at what point, like, uh, Twitter, also another example, yep. all the data is, you know, on Twitter servers. So, I find and this... it's like, it's
2: fine when it's... Well, fine, I say. But, you know, when it's one service, you can kind of comp- compartmentalize sure, that yes. and deal with it. But when it becomes... More you know, normalized. Exactly, when it's everything you use.
1: Uh, uh, another example of this is IRC Cloud. IRC Cloud is a server-side IRC server that logs oh. in for you, and then you go to the website, and it downloads all of the IRC. It's your
2: little fancy private bouncer.
1: Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, this is, I think, you know, you could see this more and more with instant messaging. I could see this with all kinds of applications. Imagine like a, like a server-side terminal service. Right. Where uh, you connect, you open up your terminal, and it connects to uh, some cloud instance of a terminal where you maybe have like it's like it's like hosted screen, right? It's like some sort of weird, yeah, right. really easy to use hosted screen, and, I, and there could be all kinds of reasons for that. Uh, I'm wondering if. I wonder if
2: there, are, you know, if, since it is GPL, I wonder if there'll be like private servers. Like, would you, if you signed an agreement Over with someone, yeah, like would you use someone else's hosted Sync Engine would, if I they had just, like a firmer maybe. agreement about?
1: UN I would want to just put it on my own drop. Well, yeah, that's there. you. Does anyone
2: in the mumble room has anyone done that? I I haven't
0: bothered to yet, but
1: no. I wonder. I think it's too new. Uh, Kitson, you had an idea. You want to jump in here? Go ahead.
0: Uh, yeah, there's actually several third party mail. Uh, Hosts and whatnot, like XQuic slash Start Page, they're the same company uh, that you could actually pay them a subscription service, and uh, they'll give you access to an email server that they don't scan your email, they don't do anything with; it's just all yours.
1: So the overall theme on the R Linux thread is a hard no, uh, no way, no hell, no way at all. Would I let anybody host my mail for me? And I, I, I mostly agree uh, in concept, but in, th- uh, I guess in theory, but in actual practice, it seems to be less and less. Of I guess an I
2: have a hard time. I, I get it, but I don't know. I, everything goes through Gmail for most people already. Well, that's true.
1: Yeah. And I wonder, but for Linux users, where do we go with something like this? Uh,
2: and that's where, that's where it comes back. Like, if you're already running your own mail server, then it's not really relevant. Like, of course it's a hard no, but for everyone else, it's
1: just one more. I think the solution. I think there is a solution. I think when projects like N1 come out and they say, yeah, and we also make the server-side open source if you want to run it, run it. Yeah, Use it. Contribute to that and make it a valuable thing for the project and make it something that other projects are encouraged to do.
2: I was didn't... really surprised to see, like, I couldn't even find a DigitalOcean, you know, how-to yet yeah, on how to set new. up a sync engine. Yeah. So, like,
1: there's a good opportunity for someone in the community as well. Yeah, it's 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 very, very new. Uh, and I have a link to that S in the show notes. If you guys are curious, you can go check that out. room. Uh, remaining closing thoughts on the whole having more and more services hosted and how it sort of infringes on privacy? Open that up uh, right
4: there. Yeah, so it's it's just... <laughs> I guess I understand where you're coming from. I guess the the only thing I can really say to kind of give reflection on it is I, I guess the limit for a lot of people is going to be, you know, they, they realize that they're using Gmail. They're using some service, and they're sure that maybe Google does go over and just go through all their emails. And, you know, it's fairly privacy. I don't know. It lacks a lot of privacy. Uh, but I think there their, their big thing is they don't, well, at least for me anyway, I shouldn't speak for everyone, but a lot of people, I guess, are kind of upset and don't want another person reaching into their data. It's like too many hands in the cookie jar right now.
1: That's true. Uh, and that cookie jar is only as strong as the weakest link. Isn't that true, Wimpy?
5: It is. And, you know, a lot of people do use Google and we can't know for sure how much Google are complying or not with government requests for access to data. But if you've got to proxy all of your mail through a smaller organization like Nihilus, they will absolutely roll over if they get pressured by uh, government organizations. So don't double proxy your email through smaller clients. Do what you suggested, which is if you want to use a platform like that, host it yourself
1: yeah very much so this has been my general take is have one that is uh you know it is honestly life is easier just to have a google account there's just certain things that make it easier so that's where a lot of stuff will go to that i don't have a super high priority and then if i then i'll have a pri- i have a private hosted email account that's like for actual private communications right. and that's just been and 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 it seems like to me that i if i really cared uh, that's where you have to draw the line uh, and I've always, I've always kind of liked the idea of pushing that a little bit and and making myself a little uncomfortable and saying, well, I could do a hosted version of this, but let's try building it right. our own. And we go back and forth on that all the time, different stuff, but it's always sort of the right. general. Right, where direction do you want I'd to go. allocate your
2: resources? Yeah,
1: in. yeah, yeah. That's sort of the general direction we go in. And I don't know. So, anyways, I do apologize though for not mentioning the server side. Uh, this th- that was sort of a crazy moment in the show, and so uh, I just sort of neglected to mention it, and that was my bad. So that's my errata for this week's episode of the Unplugged Program. I'd like to say, too, that
2: a lot of the stuff I've seen, I've never used it, um, really, but just looking through their documentation... And one, yeah. Yeah, and looking at, like, the extensibility. It seems like a cool project, and the fact that they're going open source at the start, I, I hope that a community springs up that does run this stuff on their yeah. own, you know?
1: Yeah, and don't be turned off just because it looks like an OS 10 application. If you download it and you turn on the dark theme, it's, it's not so bad. It is a Chromium application, too. So I'm, I'm not saying it's the perfect thing. It's just with Thunderbird kind of being an unknown... And Geary now being pantheon mail for elementary OS, right. Evolution being uh, something that makes me want to commit suicide, and Kmail feeling like it's from the 90s. I'm just sort of looking for a nice desktop mail client Impossible. that can handle a huge inbox. And so here's the thing: is there server side processing. You know what that means? The client doesn't crap itself when I open up an inbox with 50,000 unread messages. So that <laughs> there's like not a lot of not a lot of email clients uh, uh, meet that standard. And Thunderbird is one of them, uh, although Thunderbird just chews and chews and infinitely. Thunderbird never stops chewing on my inbox, but at least it's still responsive to. <laughs> creepy uncle says I should try out Outlook. Are you in the mambo room, creepy, creepy on mobile? Creepy, you're, are you are you drunk right now? <laughs> Outlook?
4: No, I'm in here.
1: <laughs> Outlook? <laughs> World-class email, Chris. Get the heck Crossover. out of here. Crossover, come on. No, no, you know what, no, no. Get it out of here. No way, no way. All right, so uh, that'll bring us to uh, the end. Unless anybody else has anything else they want to th- contribute, going once, going twice. All right, that'll bring us to the end of this week's Linux Unplugged. Did you know, Wes, we do this show live? Every week. Oh, my goodness. On a Tuesday over at TV. go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. we got to be that's right, JB in the PST. We got the mumble room. We got the live chats. So you can hang out in there. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. You can't make it live. Go there. Contribute. You Just... guys
2: are what make this show possible. Oh,
1: that's deep. And so true. Jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact for the emails. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Unplugged program. And we'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Cannot be 350. Holy smokes. I have to start unfiltering in like in like 40 minutes. This is Oh my gosh, jbtitles.com, let's vote. You know what's weird about the windstorm? So those people that are listening don't know this, hopefully, but we had to stop recording partway through the show because the lights started flickering here in the studio, and if uh. if the if the machine loses power, Wes, and the file isn't completed, we'd lose everything in the file. It has to be completed, right? The file has to be right. closed. And so I stopped and started recording so that we would we wouldn't lose all of the show. But you know what's weird about the wind right now is it's freaking sunny out. Yeah, so now
2: it's like a beautiful day.
1: It's still, it's still gust of winds, but it's like, I don't know, it's, it's strange out With there. With gray on the horizon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. I just, oh, don't even make me talk about Panda Express. Warhead. Don't even, don't even, no, don't even. All right, jbtitles.com. We got to pick this thing fast oh. because uh, uh, they've got these other jerks that are going to come here in the studio. Uh, this guy named Chris, he's got to get here and start another show. Man, I hate that guy. <clears throat> I feel like I'm already losing my voice.
2: We have little hours bit. to go. Can you hear
1: that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's going to be rough. Anyways, Wimpy, thanks for, uh, you know, uh, all the great uh, contributions today. That was uh, excellent, sir. My pleasure. And uh, thank you to everybody in the Mumble room for being Yeah, out. really. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us on this Super Tuesday. <laughs> Every Tuesday is super with Linux yeah. unplugged. <laughs> That's good. Let's go with that. That's our new slogan.